Coming up on today's show, you'll be hearing my conversation with writer, director, and producer Megan Friels Johnston. She talks about how she got into the film industry and really breaks down the role of a producer, as well as the different types of producers that there are in the film industry, which was a very informative chat for me. And she also talks about what made her want to step behind the camera and become a director, her latest short film, Dear Guest, and why it's important to listen to your actors when you're a director. But first, you'll be hearing my review of the Pixar film Onward, which I reviewed on Facebook Live this week. All that coming up on this week's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, which starts right now. What's going on, everybody? Derek here with the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast. It is episode 254, and I am going on, I believe, week three of working from home slash being in quarantine since, uh, well, a little bit after the coronavirus started. And uh, I'm going to get a little bit into the whole coronavirus situation and how it's affected uh, the film industry, because... I'm going to be taking part in a really cool panel for a convention that's going to be strictly online that I'll get to in just a bit. But hopefully everyone's having a good evening. You know, it's been still a bit crazy. Um, I I had to go to the store on Sunday, and it's still surreal because I live by our mall here we have in Pensacola, and outside the mall are several restaurants. And the mall's still closed. These restaurants are only doing carry-out orders. It's like a movie, if I'm being completely honest. You know, it's um, it's like... I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie I Am Legend with Will Smith, but the majority of it takes place him by himself, and he's walking through this desolate city that no one lives at anymore because of a type of, you know... Really, essentially, apocalypse happened, but it hasn't gone to that level. But going out and like people are still driving around, but I don't see that many people. The few times that I have been out, which is probably a good thing, because you know I I don't I'm not one to really take risks when it comes to this kind of stuff. Like I've been trying to only go to the store maybe twice a week. I went to go visit my parents on Saturday, which they live, you know, like an hour away from my house. So they're a little bit more in a, I won't say desolate, but they're in a more um, rural area. So it hasn't really affected the town of Jay that much. I know there was one case that was actually out, um, I believe, last week or maybe the week before. But I don't know who it is. I haven't heard, but... It's it's one of those things we probably won't know, but you know we're we're just kind of trucking along, and I know I've said it numerous times, but you know this week was supposed to be the week of opening day for the Blue Wahoos, because you know today was supposed to be. Uh, oh, Emily Dillon is in the chat. We are watching Onward right now, like actively watching it. That's awesome timing. I love that. And I'm going to get to Onward in, in here in a second because that's going to be the main point of discussion tonight. But uh, what was I saying? Oh, so um, 
Yeah, I, I don't know who the who the person is in Jay that got the coronavirus. But um yeah, I guess we'll go right into my um discussion for this week. Oh, Carlos Longoria is watching. He just finished onward twenty minutes ago. That's again awesome timing. And this is kind of a, a little bit of a spoiler or a behind the scenes look of this show. I try and watch these movies that I review. I try and watch them the night before because I like to have a little bit of time to digest a movie because I'm one of the worst when it comes to immediate reactions because I absolutely praised The Rise of Skywalker when it came out. And I still like the movie, but now that I've seen it a couple of more times, I really see the flaws in it. And is it the worst Star Wars movie? Absolutely not, but... I wouldn't say it's the best. I don't even think it's the best of the current trilogy. I think that belongs to The Last Jedi. But kind of going into Onward, so this is a Pixar film, which my love of Pixar goes back to the original Toy Story. I remember seeing that movie in theaters when it came out, much like many other people of my generation, of my age and a little bit younger. And that was what put Pixar on the map. The technology was just revolutionary. No one had really seen animation done on that level before, at least not that I'm aware of. And I, I still have one of those, it's one of those movies that has like a very distinct place for me because I was around the same age as Andy, maybe a little bit older, but I still related in a way, because you know, all I wanted to do was play with my toys and play video games. And what kid hasn't thought, what do the toys do when I'm not around? Do they actually come to life? And that tackles that. And since then, Pixar has gone on to have just unbelievable success when it comes to movies. I'm actually trying to pull up their full catalog here, because they've made so many movies since Toy Story. Come on, Wikipedia. Give me a comprehensive list. Um, okay, well, so we have... Well, franchises, uh, I'll name that. There's four Toy Story movies, two Monsters, Inc. movies, Finding Nemo has two, The Incredibles, which I still need to see Incredibles 2, and there are three Cars movies, but you also have A Bug's Life, you have Wally. -E, you have... To me, the most underrated Pixar movie was Ratatouille. I absolutely love that movie. I remember going to see that by myself in a movie theater. And that might be kind of weird to some people. There are some people I talk to that are completely weirded out by the idea of going to a movie theater by themselves. But, I mean, to me, it's not really that much different than watching a movie by yourself at home. You just go somewhere that's not your home and you sit in a giant room and you watch a giant screen. There have been a ton of movies I've gone to see by myself. But I absolutely love Ratatouille, and my point is, Pixar has had just an unprecedented run of hit movies. Like, I could probably count on one hand the number of movies that Pixar has made that are widely considered to be not very good. And I would love to hear in the chat, you know, some of your guys' favorite Pixar movies. I mean, for me personally, it's Toy Story, the original one. Though I will say, when Toy Story 3 was announced, I was very skeptical because it had been so long since Toy Story 2. 
But when I found out the storyline and found out that Andy was going to be in college and it was dealing with him not having that relationship with Woody, Buzz, Potato Head, Rex, Ham, Slinky, all the other toys, I thought this could really work. And there have been very few times at a movie theater that I have teared up. And the end of Toy Story 3 was one of them. I absolutely loved that movie. And Toy Story 4 wasn't bad. I think making it was kind of pointless because 3 had one of the best endings to a trilogy that I've ever seen. Uh, Samantha Owens is watching. She says, I go to movie theaters all the time by myself. It's amazing. It's really not that bad. You should absolutely try it out. You know, I, I've seen... What movies have I seen by myself in the theater? And there's been quite a few. I know I saw the last time... Actually, the last time I went to a movie theater, I went by myself when I saw Sonic the Hedgehog for the second time. But it's really not that bad. But as far as Onward goes, and normally on this podcast, I'm pretty lenient when it comes to spoilers. But... This I'm going to try and keep as spoiler-free as I can because I would recommend this movie to anyone. Now, I, I will admit I haven't seen the last couple of Pixar films. I haven't seen Coco. I haven't watched Inside Out. I haven't watched The Good Dinosaur. I just I, I haven't gotten around to them. I really have no excuse you know, you could say, especially now, well, you've got the time, so why don't you watch them? I will at some point. It's just, I, don't know, I just haven't got around to it. But onward, so my initial impression of this movie, I was not very excited for it, and I'll tell you why. I saw the trailer so many times in the movie theater whenever I would go. No matter what movie was playing, the Onward had the exact same trailer in front of it. And I thought to myself, God, will this movie just come out so I'll stop seeing this trailer? Because it, it didn't even really look all that appealing to me. You know, I, I knew that it was about two elves and they tried to wish their dad back to life and only half of him came back. So they went on a quest to try and bring the rest of him back. And that's really what the story of this movie is. But when the movie came out, I I knew I wasn't I probably wasn't going to go see it in theaters. I would wait until I heard some buzz about it and then I would check it out, you know, whenever it would come out on Disney Plus or I might Redbox it. I very rarely Redbox movies, but you know, if the if the word is good enough, then I'll do it. But the initial buzz for this movie was very good, and I thought, "Oh, it might actually be worth checking out." And then our friend COVID-19 came along and shut movie theaters down. I think the week after this movie came out is when things really started to take a nosedive. Because I know the box office had its lowest uh, gross in 20 or 30 years, since the 90s. And then movie theaters completely shut down. And that's kind of been the thing, is are studios going to release these films directly to streaming? Like... Onward and Black Widow for Disney. Are they just going to release them on Disney Plus, which we found out that Black Widow is going to come out later this year. And uh, that that's a whole separate discussion. 
but I, I made a note at the very end. I'm going to actually talk about a, a cool panel that um, I'm going to be doing actually next week about that very topic. But to, to talk a little bit about um, Onward, so it, it's it's kind of it's set in a fantasy world with mythical creatures like elves are the primary protagonist of the of the films. But you have other other mystical creatures like centaurs, you know, of that of that type of era. And it begins with a prologue of what you would expect from something of that era. You'd expect, you know, magic and dragons and knights and swords and all that type of stuff. And I, I'm all for a good medieval story. But the twist is as their civilization evolves, like they still say they still stay elves and these other creatures, but they evolve into a modern society. So it's essentially like watching our modern world, but with these mythical creatures, which I thought was kind of cool. And the, the the animation, of course, you know, you would expect nothing but the best from Pixar. And the, the animation is absolutely incredible from the visuals to, you know, all the magic that you see. And that's not really a spoiler because you see it in the trailer, but the visuals are absolutely amazing in this movie. And the crazy thing is the, the two Lightfoot brothers, Ian and Barley are voiced by Tom Holland and Chris Pratt respectively. I didn't even think of that as being Tom Holland and Chris Pratt, which I actually think is, is a good thing because I I don't like to think of, Oh, I'm watching like you have those A-list actors like Brad Pitt you have like George Clooney, I would throw Leo DiCaprio in there, where you think it's, okay, I'm watching this movie because it's th- these actors playing these characters. But you never really think of them as the character for the most part. You think of them as the actor. Like, oh, I'll watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it has Leo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. I mean, yeah, their performances are great, but their name drives you to the movie. And that's not the case with Onward. And the the um the voice cast like i mean the, the two main stars are Tom Holland and Chris Pratt as Ian and Barley Lightfoot but Julia Louis-Dreyfus plays their mother which i i thought was kind of cool i didn't even recognize her voice if i'm being completely honest and and most of the other cast i like i know of Octavia Spencer but i don't know too much of her work but I didn't watch this movie for the cast. I watched it because of the buzz I heard about it, with it being an actual, like, really heartfelt story with these great characters. And it's, you know, it's just a very, very good film. So I was going in with higher expectations, and I, and I watched this last night, and, and I had to put in quite a long work day. So this was cool to just sit down, made a, a quick dinner, and just laid on my couch and watched Onward. And I was actually very pleasantly surprised by it. Again, I I, I kind of feel bad because I was knocking the trailer. Not because the trailer was bad, because that was really the only marketing material that I was seeing. You know, just the one trailer they were showing in theaters leading up to its release. But the, the performances were, I thought, were very good from primarily Tom Holland and Chris Pratt because the movie revolves around their chemistry and them bonding together. Like, you know, they're brothers, so they're... 
I won't say they're kind of close because they're completely different personalities. So Barley essentially in his mind, like he's essentially a fanboy of the ancient times of, you know, medieval era with quests and dragons and trials and all this type of stuff. So when they have to go on a quest to find the um, Phoenix gem to bring their dad back, you know, completely, because you've seen in the trailer, they, they try and bring him back to life because they find the spell and their dad left them a, um, a staff from ancient times. And Ian is um, basically he is the only one who can use it. But somehow the spell screws up and it only brings back half of their dad. Now, the key to the spell is it only lasts 24 hours. So by sunset the next day, they're going to lose their dad permanently and they cannot resurrect him in any way whatsoever. So they go on this quest and I, what I will say from a storytelling perspective is I thought it did a great job of setting up the main plot. You had a little bit of you know side character development and everything, but it mostly focused on these two, a little bit on their mother and what they needed to do. Like They didn't waste a ton of time getting to the point. And I thought the third act was very strong, which I'll get to in a second, but where it kind of lost me a little bit, where my mind started to kind of wander and I wasn't paying, I won't say I wasn't paying attention, but it kind of was a bit of a struggle to watch, if you know what I mean. You know how you have some movies where it gets kind of slow and you you glance at your phone and stuff like that. Like that Onward did do that for me around the, the second act of the story where other twists and turns happen. And from there, you know, Ian is this very reserved teenager who had just turned 16 and it's really ultimately a story about him finding himself and I think any person who's I mean I I think most everyone who listens to this podcast is over the age of 16 but if you're not then you'll you'll get there eventually but for those who have been there you know how you have those moments where you're really discovering who you are as a person and for some it happens at 16, some it's early 20s, some it's late 20s, some it's later. But, you know, I'm always one to think that you should be constantly evolving and learning. I mean, I've learned, you know, huge life lessons in the past two years and had to go through some fairly uncomfortable situations to really learn those lessons and kind of gain perspective on things. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do when it comes to that type of stuff. Let's see. Um, Carlos says, you have to watch Coco. And he says, yeah, I don't recall seeing any ads online. Yeah, I, I really don't remember seeing that much marketing at all. And I, I've heard Coco is incredible. I, I'll definitely add that to my viewing list, um, hopefully over the next week or so. I mean, I think, you know, work has been really busy for me this week because I've been having to put a lot of videos together. But um, next week should hopefully be uh, a little bit lighter because, like I said yesterday, I was working until 8 p.m. And that was working from home. And after that, I literally made a quick dinner, watched Onward, and then went to sleep. And that was my Monday evening. But uh, kind of going back to the um, I thought I had another comment there, but it was just a notification. 
the I'm going to try really hard not to spoil this, but there's something that happens that causes a rift between Ian and Barley. And I'm really trying really hard not to say what that moment is, but um, it, there there's the conflict that happens. You know, it, it's that typical formula where there's that conflict that happens right before the third act that gets um you know, it gets resolved along with the main plot. But I, I will say that the the story doesn't end the way that you would expect. And what I liked about it is that it showed there are consequences to the decisions that you make. And while you might not ultimately get what you originally set out for, you do find something that is helpful and really ultimately what you need in the long run. And that's what happens with Onward. And if anyone in the chat has watched Onward, I, I would love to get your thoughts on it. Because I I'm probably not going to go uh, too much longer here because I just wanted to kind of do a bit of a, a shorter show for for this movie. But I, I will say, and I've, I've talked with this I've talked about this, I should say, with friends of mine who are parents that said that it really had a huge effect on them. Now, obviously, I can't relate to that, but as a, as someone who's been a kid and has been very unsure of themselves, I I could absolutely relate to Ian's story. You know, there's moments where, you know, he's taking driving lessons at the beginning of the movie and they go out on the freeway and the instructor tells him to merge. And of course, if you've all been on a freeway, then you know how busy they can get. And he, he loses his nerve and he gets off the freeway. Uh, oh, Adam Waldron is watching. Welcome. He was actually the one who recommended that I do this. This movie gets all the dads. I teared up. That, that's saying something. And then Carlos says, yeah, I like the way they concluded it. Kind of unexpected, but it was well done. And it kind of ends with, I will say, an embracing of the, the old culture in this universe with the new, which I, I thought was really cool. Now, I don't know if this will merit a sequel. If I had to guess, I would say probably not. Because with Pixar... There are very few exceptions when it comes to like sequels that I want to see from the Pixar universe. Like Toy Story was the one exception. And I mentioned my love of Ratatouille. I don't see a sequel in that because I think that story was relatively resolved. But who knows? I mean, it, the thing is with the whole COVID-19 deal, we don't know what's going to happen with the future of the movie universe or I should say industry. God, I've been watching movies for so long that I'm actually referring to them as universes. God, that and I just need sleep. I just need a hot bath and I need sleep. Um, Carlos said, I lost my dad 20 years ago this month. I'm so sorry to hear that, my friend. This movie stirred a few feelings, but I really did enjoy it. I don't think this will have a sequel. And that's the thing with movies is that you know, they appeal to so many different people in so many different ways. Because we've all been through life experiences, we've all have our own 
you know, different experiences, different viewpoints on life. So I might take a film so much differently than what everybody else did. Like, I'm not a parent, so I can't relate to the parent aspect of this movie. But I can still appreciate it from a storytelling standpoint because it was surprisingly, I guess, more adult is the right way to describe it as far as it telling an intelligent, cohesive story for an hour and 40 minutes. And that's one of the charms of Pixar. You know, they've had a couple of misses, but when they when they swing for the fences, more often than not, they hit a 500-foot home run. You know, because their track record is just incredible. And I, I was happy because this is the first original movie that Pixar has done in three years. Their last one they did was in 2017. So I'm glad that they did at least come up with an original story because that that's what I love about Pixar is that they come up with movies that have stories that can relate to everyone. Kids are going to see it because they're naturally drawn to animated things. But the story, and now with people my age and even younger having kids of their own, they're going to take their kids to see it. And then that's going to build through generations. You know, People who are my age will show their kids Toy Story. They'll show them, you know, A Bug's Life and other movies of that era. Adam says, I too think it was a cool take on the fantasy genre. It was a fantasy, but all the characters didn't believe in magic to start. I thought it was a cool take. Yeah, it, it had that unique twist to it that made it compelling. You know what I mean? I, I absolutely loved Onward. You know, it, it as I said, it pleasantly surprised me I was happy to watch it you know thank you to Adam for recommending it it was fun to watch and I, I know on my um, letterbox account which those who don't know what letterbox is is essentially like social media for film buffs you sign up for your account and you can rate different movies you can follow different people and see what they rate movies. And you can also do it for, for recommendations. And I, I gave this movie a, a solid four stars. And I think I think if I were to give it a score from one to ten, I would give it probably, I'd say a solid nine. Uh, Thomas Rochester, welcome Thomas. I cry just thinking about this movie. It's so good. I absolutely agree. I would give this movie a solid nine. And I, I don't give it a perfect ten just because I felt like it got a little bit slow in the second act. But that's just one guy's opinion. Which, speaking of Thomas, I, I did want to give a, a quick shout-out to him because uh, thanks to, to him reaching out to me, the Derek Diamond Experience is going to be a part of a really cool event called CyberCon, which I'm actually going to pull up here. If I could type, let's see, CyberCon. All right, let me go to their About page. This is live, by the way. Essentially, it's going to be a fully digital convention that's going to take place online. And I believe it's going to be on uh, primarily Facebook Live. Because of um, Megacon and really all conventions being postponed due to COVID-19, this really cool group has decided to um, put together an event called CyberCon, which is a three-day event. It's going to take place 
April 17th through the 19th, I believe. Um, I'm not seeing the date here, but I believe it's the 17th through the 19th. It's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday event. 100% free. You can follow CyberCon on Facebook to find out all their latest information. And I'm actually going to be broadcasting on Saturday, April 18th at uh, 5 p.m. Central Time. And what I'm going to be talking about is the long-term effects that COVID-19 is going to have on the film industry. Let's see. Uh, Adam, also the take on the unicorn was spot on. Call your local unicorn wranglers to solve your unicorn problem. I actually thought about you guys whenever I saw the unicorn. Uh, and then he asked me, would it be a 10 if Hugh Jackman was in it? Well, obviously. I mean, any movie is a 10 with Hugh Jackman in it. I should That should be a, a list I do on my podcast, just for the heck of it. I should do my top five favorite Hugh Jackman movies. But April 18th, at um, uh, also, uh, Carlos says, I did appreciate all the humor. One of my favorite funny moments was when the van is racing down the road and gets a flat tire and becomes a gallop. Yeah, the the van was great. The van was almost its own character, and I felt so well. No, I'm I'm not I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it. But for those who have seen it, when the the thing happens with the van, you know what I mean. It was, uh, I know it's just an inanimate object, but man, I felt bad when that happened. Man, it was, uh. It was to me it was it was one of the it was one of the bigger moments of the movie because it's kind of spoiling it but it it showed how much Ian means to Barley. I will say that. Okay, so now I have the information. So CyberCon is going to take place April 17th through 19th, going to be 100% online. And I'm going to be broadcasting as part of CyberCon on Saturday, April 18th at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. So definitely check that out. Follow CyberCon on Facebook. I think it's a really cool concept, you know, with so many people in quarantine and some like not even being able to leave their house. You know, I can't I can't fathom to think of what the people in New York are going through right now. So this would be a cool thing for them to just kind of escape from the world for a couple of days. But definitely looking forward to that. Um, for those who will not be able to make it, um, I don't know if the stream is going to be archived or not. I, I hope to have more information on that next week. But as I said, it's 100% free. Follow CyberCon on Facebook to find out more information about that. And by the way, let's... <laughs> Adam says, I hear the gelatinous cube will be at CyberCon. Yeah, the, the the gelatinous cube was one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. And then Heather says, <coughs> I just want you to know Adam steals all of my questions for you. I, I'm going to give you all the credit, Heather, for that. So, um, yeah, that, I think that's going to wrap up my review of, no, I'm not going to mark Heather as spam. Heather has done nothing to me to merit being marked as spam. But yeah, I think that's going to wrap up my review of Onward 
absolutely go check it out. It's free on Disney+. Plus. If you don't have Disney+, Plus, what are you doing with your life? There's so many great things on Disney+, Plus, like Onward, like The Mandalorian. If you're a 90s kid, you have your classic cartoons like DuckTales, Darkwing Duck. They have original content as well. So many great things on Disney+. Plus. I absolutely love it. I love going back and, and putting on old episodes of, you know, um, uh, Gargoyles, Darkwing Duck, DuckTales, Spider-Man, all the fun stuff. But absolutely um, check it out. I can't recommend it enough, and I'm so happy that I watched it. But that's gonna be that's gonna do it for my review of uh oh Thomas yeah Clone Wars Clone Wars is fantastic too, but that's gonna wrap up the live portion of the podcast. Uh, for those who are listening on the download, stay tuned for my interview with writer, director, producer Megan Friels Johnson. We actually talk a lot about producing, so for those who are interested in getting into film and you don't know what a producer really does. She does a fantastic job of explaining that because honestly, I didn't know a ton about producing until I had this conversation. So for those listening on the download, stay tuned for that. For those listening live, thank you guys for watching and we'll see you guys tomorrow morning at 8.30 a.m. Central Time for the Daily Diamond Morning Show. Join with writer, director, and producer Megan Friels Johnston. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, I, I have to lead off by asking, just because I know everyone's talking about it, because you're you're in California, yeah. correct? Yeah. So how how have you guys been handling the whole uh, COVID nineteen situation? Because I, I live in Florida, and we just got a stay at home order. Uh, yeah. yesterday so as you guys uh <laughs> you guys are gonna kill the rest of the country <laughs> i i can't really <laughs> I, I well i can't really defend that i i but um no uh yeah we just got the stay at home order as we're recording this uh yesterday and it started today which i've been working from home for the last couple of weeks anyways so it hasn't yeah. affected me all that much but h- how has it been out there um honestly it's been okay i mean it's it's frustrating. I have two small kids, so it's been, you know, difficult trying to work and um, have them home at the same time. My husband's also working from home. His job is not as creative as my job is. I think my my job, and I'm also like my own boss, so I'm kind of the one who's dealing more with the kids. Um, just because it's like, you know, I, it's impossible for me to really go right unless I remove myself <laughs> from the house. Um, but we're, we're okay. I honestly, I had a feeling something was going to happen right when, um, Seattle had a bunch of cases and like, it really wasn't anywhere else. And I, I don't know, I was just having this like weird feeling like, I bet they're going to close school. I don't know why. But I literally that day via Instacart, like I spent a good amount of time and I ordered $400 worth of groceries. (laughs) Oh, geez. I I had some sort of like premonition uh, because I did it way before, you know, all the toilet paper hoarders happened and and none of that was going on yet. Um, And I was just thinking like, 
you know, I was buying like, like quick yeast to make bread. I had some, like, apparently I thought we were going to be in an apocalypse situation based on like, I was buying things like canned fruit and stuff that I would never buy. Um, and pasta and like ramen noodles. And like, I just like had this arsenal, um, which we've now gone into, but I, we're okay. I mean, the weather is nice here. You can still walk your dogs and, you know, I think everybody, it, it uh, at least I personally, and maybe you guys will feel that too. There's such a kind of a sense of community as you're all kind of doing this together. You know, I think my mailman and UPS people every day and anyone who's like working a job that probably doesn't want to be or shouldn't be. And, um, yeah, I mean, the days are blurring together, but there are, I mean, I feel fortunate that we can actually be sheltering at home. So just trying to catch up on movies and some weird times, man, weird, weird, weird times. It definitely is. And I, I kind of echo your sentiments because, you know, I, I, I live by myself, but I still spent like $150 in food just because I don't plan on really leaving and going to the store unless I absolutely have to. So, right. but it, and it was, it, it's every store I've been to has pretty much been a madhouse the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And it, it's been, oh, it's I'm been sure. insane. But I, I, you know, I was talking with somebody else who, who lives in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago about this whole thing. And I, I think I think we're going to, in the end, going to be okay with the whole thing. Like, it's going to take some yeah. time, but I, I think... But it's just been insane that the sheer amount of stuff that's been shut down, and one being, you know, essentially the film industry, because all the big releases have yeah. been pushed back. Some don't have release dates that were supposed to be coming out you know, really around now, so... Have you felt that effect uh, living in in California? Yeah, I mean, I have. I had a. I was actually like this year had been really, really productive for me, and I, I had a movie that was going to shoot in April that I just wrote that I wasn't going to direct or produce. That I, which, uh, I was very excited to just have something I wrote and I didn't have to do anything else, to. Um, and so that got pushed. That was oddly a uh, Christmas movie, and then, um, yeah, and then I had a thriller that was going to very possibly go this year and um, possibly another one. They were kind of like competing with each other of which one was going to go first and, and then also trying to juggle the festival circuit. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been hard for everybody. It's everything is pretty much stalled. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it could be a lot worse, and I'm just trying to be appreciative, you know, that I'm, like, I get to spend all this time with my kids. But, yeah, it's, it's tough. Yeah. No, no I, like, every, everyone is working from home, and writers are still writing, and we're still developing stuff. And, like, that stuff's still happening, just there are no productions whatsoever. Yeah. No, I, I feel your pain about the festival circuit, because uh, my short was supposed to play in two different festivals a couple of Saturdays ago. And both of those have been postponed indefinitely. So I, I know yeah. how you feel with that. But um, kind of backtracking a bit, now that we're on the subject of film, what was it that you know gave you that spark to want to work in the film industry? I, um, I moved out to Los Angeles when I was in my early 20s. Um, I, I initially wanted to be an artist and and I realized very quickly that it's very hard to make money as an artist 
So I got right into the film business and I started, I've always loved movies. I, um, my grandfather was Elmore Leonard who wrote like Get Shorty and Out of Sight and a whole bunch of like the show Justified. So I was exposed to that from a young age, you know, even though he lived in Detroit and did not live in Los Angeles, there was just still an awareness of, you know, from story to screen, um, more so than perhaps a lot of people get. Um, so I moved to LA and then I started working for agents and managers and producers and directors and just kind of paid my dues, you know, and worked for a lot of assholes <laughs> and, and just developed a thick skin and that kind of perseverance that you really need in this business. Um, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in the business, which I wasn't really sure. I, um, I landed on producing pretty quickly. I think I could have also been a manager. Um, that interested me a lot because when I was producing in the beginning, I mean, you're really, really pitching someone else's script, you know, and you're really championing, championing writers. And that was something I really enjoyed, but ultimately, you know, producing wasn't enough and, um, that's what led me to make my first feature. So that's kind of how that went. And I still, you know, there are things that I just produce and there are things that I write, direct and produce. And there are now finally things that I just write and have no other involvement, which is somewhat glorious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. You don't have to do all the front work, you know, it's, it's hard. Yeah. You just do your job and, and you're done. You don't have to really yeah. worry about it. So something that I I tell a lot of people, whether it's on this podcast or people that I talk to that either are in film or want to get into film, I I always explain to them that there are a lot of cogs in the machine of filmmaking, and they all have to work together to make the film work. And something that is talked about, it's mentioned by name, but it's not really talked about as far as what they do is producing. So what exactly is it that a producer does for a film? Well, a producer is, I mean, what your job is, is to put all the elements together to make a film. So it's, you know, the director gets, I feel like a lot of the glory. Um, but a producer is who finds usually material. So it's whether you find a script or a book or, you know, it could be, or you could want to base something on a video game or whatever it is. You're the one who has the, who, whether something was brought to you or you seek it out, you have decided this is the material I want to make happen. So then the producer, if there isn't a script already, if it's a book, then your job is to find a writer, a writer that also directs or a writer first, or you get a director on board and then you all collectively decide to find the writer. But you're the one who starts kind of putting the building blocks together. So you you find the talent, you're finding the writer and the director. And then, you know, you usually have other producers, but then you have to also find the money. So is that money from a financier or is that money from, you know, partnering with a studio? It's different avenues to go. And then, you know, the direct, you will then help the director 
come up with the cast and, you know, all of the other key elements. Because the director gets a lot of say, but producers will also veto, you know, certain things. Because a director could want, you know, be given, okay, we'll give you $20 million to make this movie or what have you. And if the director wants all no names, I mean, they're going to get a big fat no. (laughs) You know, that's not going to happen. You have to still put elements in place that are going to allow for the film to be successful. So that's what the producer does. They basically, they're the ones who, you know, each film is essentially like a little company and the producers are who, you know, put together the company. Handling a lot of logistics. Yes. I mean, the producers do handle a lot of logistics, but most of the like nitty gritty logistics are usually more line producer, um, which is more of the person who deals with the budget and then the unit production manager is dealing with like the physical production. The producer producers are the ones who are on way before there's ever any crew and long after there's ever any crew. So they're kind of like, that's why the producers win the best picture Oscar, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's, they've literally been, you know, responsible for putting together every element you know and and that includes choosing the right director right and again that's something that you know i even at times i struggle to answer that question of what a producer actually does so now i can Mm -hmm. tell people to listen to this podcast and they can get a fantastic answer for it well and the thing is is there are different there are different producers Some excel very much in, you know, getting the financing or, you know, whether they hire a foreign sales agent to like pre-sell markets, you know, that's, that's all an element of producing. And there are some producers that have no idea how to find money, you know, but are amazing at crewing up a production and know, you know, all of the, you know, equipment stuff and how to, you know, that's what we call in the you know in many businesses sweat equity you know there are sweat equity producers and then there are producers that are equity producers who are more that you know the financially savvy producers because different producers have different skill sets for sure um it's it's a tough job because you're really you're pushing it forward i i'm lucky as a filmmaker that i have the producing background because i can then help propel my own films forward um, whereas a lot of writer directors don't have, if they don't have that or they don't have someone, um, really pushing their project, it's, it's really hard to get it going. You know, I, no one's going to push my project harder than me. So it's, it's fortunate that I am the producer, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's a tough, you know, and you have lots of projects that don't end up going forward for, various reasons you know you just could not make it happen as much as you try because you know the producer is also the does the most work before getting paid unless they work for a big studio you know it's like the independent type producers or even when you have your own company you know you're doing all that work you're securing like the rights to a book and like all of these things before there's anyone like paying you to make the movie or the show or whatever it is right no that that's that's great information to have now you you had mentioned making your first feature so what what was it that made you decide that you wanted to go from producing to them being a director 
Well, I, when I got into the business, I, I first started producing right before the um, housing crisis. And so I had made a short as a producer um, that was uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt directed it and it got into Sundance. And it was like a great, it was an awesome first thing to do. And then I had all these, pro, you know, projects in the works, uh, you know, some were horror, some were different genres. I had, you know, pretty, like somewhat well-known directors attached to things and I couldn't get anything going. And the, the film industry, you know, stalled then too. And it was really hard to get financing for stuff, even if they were low budget. And I just got really frustrated and, you know, I'm still like working. I think at that time, I was, I had stopped being an assistant because I had already produced something substantial and I didn't want, you know, I just, I, I was done like be, being barked orders to at that point because, you know, I just been doing it for so long and I had all these projects. So I was like, I think I was working for like a catering company on the side. Like, I don't know if you've seen that show party down. But that was, you know, that I've was heard like of it, but I've never seen it. Good. Oh my God, it's so funny. It's like caterers, like catering staff in Hollywood, like, you know, working Hollywood parties and stuff. And it was, um, which I would run into people that I was like, had projects with. Like, I remember ducking under a table once. <laughs> because <laughs> you still have to make money, you know? Yeah. And um, so, anyway, I just, nothing was getting made. And um, eventually, I just said, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to write a screenplay that I can do for a really low budget. And I, I wrote one and I had a director attached and we still couldn't get the money. And it was like, you know, ultra low budget. I even had, <laughs> I even had like a, you know, some neat, some like lower, lower names attached to it, which is pretty funny. Um, and I still couldn't get it going. So then I'm like, okay. So I wrote another screenplay that I could make for really low money. And um, I just decided that I would direct it because I, I, I was getting the impression that the lower I would go budgetary wise, um, people just wouldn't do it. And I was determined to make a movie and it had been so long and, I just wanted to, you know, I got into the business to get on set and create something. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it myself. And I was very um, inspired by like all those stories that you hear about people who make, you know, a movie for practically nothing. And so that's what I did. So that was my first film rebound. And it was, you know, you know, I, I think I did a great job <laughs> for the budget I had and never doing it before in my life. Um, but, you know, obviously there's things I would change, but I'm, you know, I just learned so much in that process. I learned so much about post-production, which I didn't really know as much about. And, um, and it just taught me that like, oh, okay, I, I really love this and I want to do it again. So, you know, so yeah, that was how that happened. And, and then I went on to make another, another feature as well, um, called the ice cream truck. And, you know, it's just while you're producing and, and things like that. So I'm still trying to, which is one of the reasons I did a short film because I'm waiting for my next feature to go 
and you have to kind of stay strong, strong as a director and stay fresh and, you know, keep working with people. And so, yeah, so that was what it was. <laughs> pure desperation is what caused me to direct my first feature, which I think I'm sure a lot of directors and creators can relate to that feeling. But it's kind of like that old saying that if you really want something, you have to go do it yourself, which is exactly Absolutely. what you did. Yeah. And I feel I always tell filmmakers, you know, if you build it, they will come. And I feel very strongly about that because you can't wait. You can't just wait for someone to give you an opportunity. You have to take the opportunity. And I had done so much development and worked with directors already at this point and had been very close getting several um, films going. Um, So, you know, I, I just was experienced in you know, going over a script and, you know, thinking what it needs and just having a storyteller, you know, family background and all of that stuff. So, so yeah, um, it was a great, it was a very good experience. And then at that same time, I, I also like right as that was happening, I, uh, a TV pilot that I produced finally went forward. It didn't end up getting picked up, but they did shoot it in Florida, in Miami. Oh, cool. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, things started to pick up. And I and I do think, you know, pro- productivity begets productivity in any uh, field that you work in. It's weird like that. Yeah, it is kind of weird how that whole thing works out. It's like when you start to do one thing that you want to do, it's like everything just kind of falls into place. Like the universe is kind of working yeah. in your favor. Absolutely. What was the biggest lesson you learned in uh, shooting Rebound as a director? I think you just, you know, learning how to problem solve is everything. Because when you don't have a lot of money, you really have to just, you just have to make it work, you know. And you don't, as an independent filmmaker, you don't really have the luxury of going over. And those kind of, those young directors that think that they're going to, like, work their crew to the bone, who are literally doing uh, you a favor by working at whatever they're working for. You know, those are the directors that are not going to make it in this business who are more concerned about getting the shot of like the coffee mug just right at the expense of like a crew who's killing themselves, you know, for nothing, (laughs) you know? Um, So I think, yeah, just learning to problem solve and prioritizing what's important in your film, you know, hopefully, every aspiring filmmaker will get to a point where, you know, they can actually just have a lot of like a decent amount of money and to just shoot what they want, you know, but it doesn't always work like that. And I think with all the tentpole movies, like all the Marvel movies and movies that are that expensive, the more of those there are that are, you know, 200 million or whatever it is, it squeezes so much money out of the lower realm of movies and it's making and VOD is partially to blame for this too and piracy but it's making all these smaller movies even smaller and smaller so these but like all of these actors and filmmakers are having to work for these you know with these terrible budgets because no one wants to take the risk you know yeah so it's 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 hard for a lot of filmmakers I think because you have to kind of stay in this indie space for a while um and so yeah so i would yeah i would just say 
problem solving is a big one. Don't skimp on your post-production is a big one. You know, find the right favors. It doesn't necessarily mean spend more money, but you can't skimp on things like sound and music. It's it's very important. It's, it's one of the most important things, I think, because you can, you know, what it looks like on the day is fine, but post-production is, is how you make your film feel so much more expensive, you know? Well, I think sound especially is important because you can have, and this isn't a knock to to DPs, you know, anywhere at all. But I think mm-hmm. you you can have a, a film that looks good, like I'm not saying spectacular, but look good and have good sound, and you can pass off the look as that was the style I was going for. But if you have, right, for sure. But if you have a fantastic, you know, epic looking, you know, on like a Star Wars level film, but if the sound's bad, mm-hmm. no one's going to watch it. Yeah. And it's, it's always so obvious when it's bad. You yeah. know, you don't necessarily notice. Some people don't really notice when it's good because it's usually good when you're watching high quality stuff, but you, yeah, you sure notice it when it's bad and it just, it completely destroys your finished product. Yeah. I did want to say real quick, speaking of of sound and music, I think with horror especially, one of the most underrated aspects of a horror film is the music. And I'll I'll use Halloween Mm. for an example. You know, the the theme song when Michael Myers Mm -hmm. shows up. I don't think that would have Mm -hmm. had the impact without the music that it had. And I bring that up because... I watched the trailer for the ice cream truck, how it had that classic, Mm -hmm. like, you know, jingle that you would hear from an ice cream truck that was going on in the neighborhood. That made that trailer so much more creepy. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. I thought it was great. Well, and that film, that film has a lot of, um, a lot of people said that the score of that film reminded them a lot of Halloween. There's a lot of like kind of retro synth, but it's not as, it's not the same as like Stranger Things or anything like that. It's not. It's, it didn't really jump on that bandwagon, but it's definitely a retro horror score. I think music is extremely important. And um, if you had seen the whole uh, of Dear Guest, it has a really cool like Hitchcockian score. We used a like a real orchestra. Oh, cool! And it's very much an homage to like Twilight Zone and that kind of music from the 50s and 60s is pretty cool. That's fantastic. Yeah, well, it was really fun to do that. Well, as we um, as we start to wrap up here, I, I did want to talk real quick about your uh, short film that is um, mm-hmm. that I watched the trailer for recently uh, called Dear Guest. Uh, what was mm-hmm. the what was the inspiration behind that film? Well, as I, as I said before, you know, I, I had another trailer that was supposed to shoot last year. And then, of course, it was supposed to shoot this year. And um, <laughs> now there's uh, another delay. But, um, you know, as a director, you have to stay fresh. And I wanted to shoot something only because of the order in which I did things. I had never done a short. I went straight into a feature. And um, I, I just thought that this was a good opportunity, you know, it's not as huge of a time commitment and I can, you know, practice some new skills and, you know, think, you know, the equipment changes, there's always like new stuff, you know, so it was really fun to do. And 
I was very intrigued by the concept of, you know, when we check into a vacation rental, like an Airbnb or VRBO or home away or whatever, um, you don't really know whose house you're in. And I always feel like, are there cameras? You know, what if the person whose house you were staying in was like crazy? And so that was the kind of the idea in terms of like how vulnerable we are when we, when we do that. So that's what it's about. And this couple played by um, Ashley Bell and Noreen DeWolf check in to an Airbnb and, you know, it doesn't go well (laughs) for them to say the least. Um, But it was really fun to do. And I loved working with both of them and yeah, it was just a really good experience. And I think as a filmmaker too, like each time you, make a movie regardless of whether it's a feature or a short you kind of get the feeling like you also want to like know am I improving (laughs) you know and I felt like it felt more even though it was a short it felt more polished than the previous two things I had done and and so that made me happy that I did it you know because you you know you don't want to let too much time go by between directing projects even though I've written a million scripts in between features or in between projects, but the directing is hard. It requires some, some money and people. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to a saying that, you know, I heard on a podcast recently and that is repetition is the mother of learning. And I think for Mm -hmm. filmmakers, whether or not it's a short or a feature, a film's still a film and you still have to put your work into it and you can learn a lot from just, you know, is it, how long did it take you guys to shoot Dear Guest? Uh, it was only two days. We were one location and two people. So it wasn't, um, you know, two two actual shooting days. I mean, there's a lot of stuff being done, like, in the immediate days before. Um, and I also always rehearse with right. my actors. I think it's a really important thing that I would recommend to any independent filmmaker because you'll save so much time. If you rehearse with your actors, because they, it just, it solves all, it it answers so many questions that they have. And oftentimes they are in a, going in a completely different direction than necessarily you had thought of. And so you then either go with their direction or explain to them what you had in mind. And I just think it's very important to do. I think that's the great thing about rehearsals is that sometimes actors can throw in another spin on a character that you may not have even seen before, but it actually yeah. works out a lot better because on my film, uh, one of the actors, Jesse, who played uh, the character of Zach, he added like this kind of quirkiness to the character, but like in a subtle way that like the more I watched him through rehearsal, I actually really liked it, so I, I wanted him to add that to to that character that I didn't even write, mm-hmm. and then in my mind I was like, damn, why didn't I think of that before? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I worked with the actor um, Jeff Daniel Phillips on the ice cream truck who's in like all of Rob Zombie's uh, movies, and he's on Westworld, and he had so many suggestions for his character, and it it was just so great because it made the whole thing so much stronger. And I feel like you always have, you should always listen 
to your actors. You don't have to take every single thing, you know, that they add, but usually they, it, it's a benefit because they're the ones processing the character more than you are, you know, I think, at least for me. Um, so it's always important to really, you know, hear their feedback and really take to heart the suggestions they have. Well, I think if they do that, it shows that they care about the role, which is really important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, two more questions uh, before I let you go. Mm-hmm. What's one piece of advice? And I know we've talked about it a little bit, but what is one piece of advice that you would give to an aspiring filmmaker? Um, I think what we said before, you know, find a way to create some content. And if that's making a short or, you know, I mean, I wouldn't really recommend doing a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo. I think people hate it. I think I I had to do it once for a post-production and I I will never do it again. It was one of the worst experiences ever. I felt like I was stalking people for money and I would not recommend it. But I guarantee most people have some people in their lives that want to see them succeed and um, achieve success. So if, you know, you need to borrow some money to make a short film or something, you know, rent a camera, do what you have to do. Um, because I do think it will pay off. And, and if your talent is there, people will see it. And I would say, don't wait, don't wait for someone to give you an opportunity, just go make something. And if you can't, if it doesn't get into festivals, you know, put it online, like, Put it on YouTube. Like, find a way to get it out there. I think that's great advice. And last question, do you have any websites or social media that you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you? Yeah, I, I have a website that I, I'm not super <laughs> good at updating, but um, it's lookatmefilms.com. It's, it's lookatme-films, but I just um, I'm very excited to say that I just finally got look at me films uh the domain it only took 10 years for like whatever family it was like someone's family photos had the look at me films domain it's now finally mine but um right now it's look at me dash films.com and my twitter is number one megan and my instagram is megan freels johnson and i have a facebook page but um if you're looking for if anyone's looking for something to watch the ice cream truck is um on anywhere you can rent movies it's on amazon prime it's certified fresh on rotten tomatoes um it's a fun it's a fun kind of um i wouldn't call it a horror comedy but it's it's kind of like a suburban satire horror it's it's a lot of fun Fantastic. And and one good thing about, you know, kind of the situation we're all in right now is that we have the time to watch stuff like the ice cream truck and other, you know, shows or movies because this is what Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu is great for. So it's a perfect Mm -hmm. opportunity. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I'm trying to catch up on stuff as well. Yeah, my I just watched all the Indiana Jones movies with my eight year old son. Oh, uh, so, great choice. Not all my programming, yeah, not all my programming can be adult all the time, but I'm, he's at least getting old enough that I can start to, you know, influence him on the classics. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. It was a lot of fun and look forward to yeah. seeing what comes up next for you.
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Stay safe out there in Florida. Thanks again to Megan Friels Johnston, and thank you to everyone who watched my review of Onward on Facebook Live this week. For next week, I'll be reviewing the really fun action comedy Jumanji The Next Level, but I'm not going to be alone. I'm going to be joined with returning guest Thomas Rochester. You might remember him from the Power Rangers roundtable I did a couple of months ago. He's going to be coming on to talk about Jumanji as well as CyberCon, which the Derek Diamond Experience is going to be a part of. CyberCon is a 100% digital and free weekend convention that's going to consist of panels, vendors, and so much more. It's going to be held April 17th through the 19th on Facebook Live. You can just go to Facebook, search for CyberCon, like their page, and the entire convention will be streamed from there. And I'm going to be discussing the impact that COVID-19 is going to have long-term on the film industry. I know for sure Jason Robbins is going to be joining the panel. Don't quite know yet who else is going to be on that panel, but you'll have to tune in to social media to find that out. And my review of Jumanji will be on Facebook Live this upcoming Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central Time. But until then, you can check out past episodes of this show on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast, and YouTube. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. You can also follow me on all forms of social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. Don't forget, you can also check out my daily morning show, The Daily Diamond, that airs Monday through Friday at 8.30 a.m. Central Time on Facebook. And also, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can find all their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. But I think that's going to do it for this week's show, so enjoy the rest of your week, especially with this time that we have going on. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here this Tuesday on Facebook Live. <laughs>